This morning we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 61. Hear God's word. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of of the prison to those who are bound. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. To comfort all who mourn. To grant to those who mourn in Zion. To give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes. The oil of gladness instead of mourning. The garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. That they may be called oaks of righteousness. The planting of the Lord that He may be glorified. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrong. I will faithfully give them their recompense. I will make an everlasting covenant with them. Their offspring shall be known among the nations and their descendants in the midst of the peoples. All who see them shall acknowledge them. And they that are are an offspring the Lord has blessed. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exalt in my God, for He has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress. As a bride adorns herself with jewels. For as the earth brings forth its sprouts, and as a garden causes what is sown in it to sprout up, so the Lord will cause righteousness and praise to sprout up before the nations. Lift it up, fear not. Say to this, oh, that's actually a mistake. Quit reading there. The, this is the end of God's word. Um, little typo there at the end. Sorry about that from last week's pack, passage. Um, God gives us his word this morning. He gives it to us because he loves us. And he wants us to know him. And this is where he most clearly reveals himself to us. And so let me pray as we think about this and ask that he would give us understanding. Father, we thank you this morning that we have the opportunity to gather here and worship you, to proclaim that there is no other God like you. Father, I pray as we come to your word, we thank you, for first of all, for it. We thank you for what it tells us so clearly about who you are and about your character and about your nature. I thank you that it tells us about our need, our need for forgiveness, our need for grace and mercy. I pray that you would help us this morning to see ourselves more clearly, to see you more clearly. Father, I pray that we would see Jesus. And we ask this in his name. Amen. Anybody out there know the name Tia Torres? Nobody. I actually didn't think you would know this name. I wasn't using it because I thought it was a name that you would know. If you pass Tia Torres on the street, you probably wouldn't look twice. She's about 60 years old. Um, She normally looks like she hasn't slept in a few days. Her hair is usually kind of a mess, and it's usually dyed some sort of strange color. She's covered in tattoos. But over the last few years, she's actually become sort of well-known. And she's well-known mainly because of what she does. She takes ex-prisoners, she takes guys who are on parole and she has this mission for them and together they join together and they go find dogs that need to be rescued. Mainly they're pit bulls. 
They've been abused and they've been neglected. They've been left for dead. And Tia Torres and this group of, of parolees go and find these dogs and rescue them. And she has a show called Pitbulls and Parolees. And um, she, at, the, at the beginning of the show, every time she says, my, my mission is rescue. My mission is to rescue. And she goes, and you watch this woman, and you're like, she's got a mission. She knows what she's about. She knows what she wants to do. She stays up day and night. She looks a little rough around the edges for good reason, because she goes into dark places. She goes into sketchy places. She goes into bad neighborhoods because she wants to rescue these dogs. And I was watching the show a while back with my kids, and I was kind of thinking, this is kind of a stupid show. And then as I thought about this character, this person again, I was going, I mean, who does this? Who, like, gathers a bunch of ex-convicts and goes in a bad neighborhood and rescues dogs that most people are terrified of? Like, who does that? And as it, it kind of hit me as I'm watching the show, it's sort of a lot like Jesus. This is a lot like Jesus. That Isaiah tells us in another passage that Jesus wasn't much to look at. I mean, you would walk down the street probably and pass Jesus. You probably wouldn't look his way. In fact, he says, he was like one from whom men hid their faces. You might even turn away. And Jesus, when he comes on a mission, he is bound and determined on his mission. That he knows what he's here for. He knows what he wants to do. And so he gathers a team. And who is this team that he gathers to help him? They're not the most reputable people out there. He doesn't gather the best and the brightest. He doesn't gather the scholars. That he goes and builds a team of disciples that many would have laughed at, would have scoffed at, would have thought he's crazy. And what does he do? He goes into the darkest corners. He goes into the places where people are abused and forgotten and neglected and have given up on all hope. And what you need to know, when I, as I read this passage from Isaiah, sometimes we can go into the Old Testament and we can think, well, what does this have to do with us? Well, Jesus shows us more clearly than almost any other passage in the Old Testament what this is about. Because when he begins his mission, when he begins his ministry, he goes into the synagogue. You can go back and read it in Luke 2. He picks up the scroll. He finds a place where Isaiah wrote these words. And he reads them out loud. He rolls it back up. He, sa- he says, today this has been fulfilled in your hearing. And he sits down. But Jesus is saying, you want to know who I am. You want to know what I'm about. You want to know what my mission is. Isaiah already told it to you. And I'm making it very clear. This is who I am. You want to know what it looks like to follow me. This is what it looks like. So this morning, I want to ask, I'm going to ask three really simple questions. Really simple questions. And they're this. Who did Jesus come for? What did he come to bring? And why does it matter to us? Who did Jesus come for? What did He come to bring? And why does it matter to us? Who did Jesus come for? I want you to think about that that question for just a second. I want you to be really honest with yourself. Think about the fact that there is a God who is holy and just. He made everything in this world for His own glory. He has all power. 
And that, and that same God comes down and enters into his creation. Who do you think he would move towards? Who do you think he would be drawn to? Who do you think that he would naturally move towards? I mean, I think, just get a picture in your mind. What is that person, what do you think that person looks like? A holy, just God enters into the world that's rebelled against him. Who is he going to move towards first? I think our gut reaction to that question tells us something about how we see God, and I think it tells us something about how we see ourselves. Because some of us in the room this morning, we might be thinking, well, I mean, I'm not perfect, but I imagine he might move towards me. I mean, I've tried really hard in my life. I've done some good things. I haven't totally messed up my life. I've been somewhat successful. I've done some good stuff. Maybe... I'm not quite as bad as the next guy. Maybe he would move toward me. And there's others of us in this room that would say, everything I touch turns into a disaster. I have wrecked my life. I have wrecked relationships. I can't seem to fix myself. I can't seem to get out of it. I do not think that if a holy God entered into creation, he would, he would move towards me at all. But I do know some people that maybe are a little better than me. Maybe they would fit the bill. And here, here's the thing. Most of us think that God works on this merit scale. We think that if God shows up, that what he wants is to find the most prim and proper people, that God would naturally move towards the people that we consider to be the best people. That God simply rewards the people who are able to kind of do a good job and to manage their life well. And it's weird that we think that way because Scripture is really clear. Scripture says that, that all of us have sinned and all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. That Paul says that there is no one who is righteous There's not even one. There's no one who does good. I love the way that Mark Twain once put it. He said, heaven goes by favor. If it went by merit, you would stay out and your dog would get in. Dogs are pretty, you could train a dog to be pretty obedient. I'm pretty hard to train. I don't know about you. Heaven goes by favor. It goes by grace. And grace, what is grace? Grace is us getting the very opposite of what we actually deserve. What do we deserve? The wages of sin is death. Grace is the gift of God. It's eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so when Jesus shows up, it's not surprising that many of the people think the same way that we do. So we we think... Um, God is near to me now because I've done a couple things well, and now he's distant from me because I haven't done things quite as well. We kind of think he moves back and forth. He loves me, he loves me not. They would have thought the same way. And most of the religious people, the Pharisees, the ones in the assurance of grace that I read to you, they thought, well, when Jesus, if this is really the Messiah, then surely he will move towards us because we're meticulous keepers of the law. We, we observe all the religious law. We do, we do an incredible job at it. And of course, Jesus is going to move towards us. The Messiah, the Christ is going to move towards us. 
And he's offended when he, when he calls them out more than anybody else. He calls them to repent more than anybody else. So much so that they finally agree together that this must not be the Messiah. Because they're appalled that what they actually see when they see Jesus is they see him moving towards the very people that they despised. They see Jesus moving towards the outcast. They see Jesus moving towards the leper. They see Jesus moving towards the prostitute, the lawbreakers, the tax collectors, the gluttons, and the drunks. So when Jesus starts his ministry, he wants to make it really clear. And how does he do that? He goes to Isaiah, he picks up the scroll, and he says, this is what I'm about. This is what I'm about. The Spirit of the Lord has anointed me to bring good news. Good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. To proclaim liberty to the captive. The opening of prison to those who are bound. Who is he talking about? Who are the poor? We could define that a lot of ways. I haven't read anything better than this one. These few sentences from a man named John Oswald. He says, the poor, the poor are those who are so broken by life that they have no more heart to try. The poor are those who are so broken by life that they have no more heart to try. Those who are so bound up in their various addictions that liberty and release are a cruel mirage. Those who think that they will never again experience the favor of the Lord. These are they to whom the Messiah comes and shouts, I've got good news for you. Those who are so broken by life that they have no more heart left to try. Let me ask you a simple question. Do you think Jesus came to move towards you? Did you picture yourself When I first asked that question, God shows up. Who is he moving towards? Do you think that he moves towards you? Do you think that Jesus actually came to rescue you? Do you think that you were on his mind, that you were part of his mission, that he was dead set on making a beeline towards you? Do you think that he would be interested in you? The question isn't how good are you? The question isn't, how bad have you wrecked your life? The question is, do you know that you're poor? Do you know that you're needy? Have you been so broken by life that you have no more heart left to try? I don't know anyone in this room who probably hasn't been in that situation before. And to you who know it, he says, I've got good news. Have you ever wanted to stop sinning so badly? And what you realized is no matter what you did, no matter what way you modified your behavior, you just couldn't. You just couldn't stop. That's where Jesus meets us. That's where Jesus meets us. That is the reason that Jesus came. You see, none of us are as free as we think we are. Some of us think that we're pretty free. Everybody experiences bondage. Some know it. Others are blind to it. Everybody experiences addiction. Some are addicted to alcohol. Some are addicted to shopping. Some of us numb out the pain. 
Others of us manage our lives well enough that we try to avoid the pain. Both are bondage. We're all broken, and the question is, isn't, have you done everything you can to fix it? The question is, have you cried out, God, be merciful to me, a sinner? God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Listen, you may not belong to the most important or the most powerful. I don't think any of us in this room are the most important and the most powerful. In fact, you may have been neglected by the powerful. You may have been ostracized, used, and even marginalized by the powerful of this world. But the all-powerful maker of the heavens and earth has not forgotten you. He sees you. He moves towards you, not when you finally get it together, not when you finally clean yourself up. He moves towards you right where you are when you cry out to him, I need mercy. I need forgiveness. This is what he came to bring. What did he come to bring? You see it all throughout this passage that Isaiah, he's a poet. I mean, he explodes into imagery and What does he bring the the poor and the brokenhearted? He brings them really two things. He brings them really the same thing, good news and salvation. What does that look like? I mean, the words that I hear that pop out as I read this passage, that that looks like comfort. It looks like liberty. It looks like reconciliation. It looks like comfort and liberty and reconciliation. Um, What is this good news? What is this salvation? You may have grown up in a church. I talk to a lot of people who don't go to church anymore, who've left the church. And often the comments are, you know, I realized I was a bad, I was kind of a bad dude. And that's just not where I belong. And you know what my response to that always is? That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. How can you be too bad for church? It's for bad people. Well, I think it's because the church has made often people think that. Oh, I'll come back once I clean up my life. I'll come back once I get things together. Because what I think is that God really relates to me based on how good I've been this past week. Oftentimes what we hear doesn't sound like good news. It doesn't sound like good news. Oftentimes if we listen to the TV, it doesn't sound like good news. It sounds like a self-help program designed to help you achieve the American dream. It's not what Jesus came to bring. Jesus came to bring us true good news. What is that good news? What is that salvation? It's that the Son of God humbled and humiliated Himself and took on flesh, entered the womb of a little girl, was born... And live the life that we could not live because he was on a mission. And he entered into the mess of this world and the mess of this life. And he finds us there in the thick of it. And he offers us all the very opposite of what we actually deserve. He finds us in the gutter that we put ourselves in. And he offers us full forgiveness. And he offers us full salvation. 
And not only that, it says, Isaiah says, he clothes us with garments of salvation. He puts on us a robe of righteousness. It's as if this is the thing that every one of us wants more than anything in the world, even if we can't articulate it, is that we want to be seen exactly as we are. We want to be seen with all of our nastiness, all of our thoughts, everything fully exposed, and then to be forgiven and embraced. Don't you want that? Jesus says, that's what I came to bring. This is why it is good news. You don't have to run away from me. You can run toward me. I've actually come to bring you good news. He gives us, those who don't deserve it, eternal security and an inheritance through his resurrection that is imperishable. We can't defile it. And it will never fade away because it's reserved for us in heaven. The wages of sin is death. The good news is through no merit of my own, even though I've broken every one of your laws, by pure grace, you give me eternal joy and happiness. You come to find me. Fully seen and fully embraced. And I think that that's, Isaiah goes on to describe that throughout this passage, I think is comfort. That's the comfort that we're looking for. Have you ever felt like your heart is breaking and you just cannot try anymore? Have you ever felt like you can't go on another day? Have you ever felt like you don't know how to fix yourself even though you've tried everything else? Do you know that Jesus cares about that? He cares about that. Jesus came for that very reason. Jesus says, I came to bind up the broken hearted. These are the words that he chooses. Is your heart broken? Jesus says, this is part of my mission. I came to bind up your broken heart. Have you ever mourned so hard that you thought you might not survive it? The good news is that he has come to meet you right there to give you, he says, a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. Jesus cares about your broken heart, the ways that you've broken it and the ways that it has been broken by disappointment in this fallen world over and over again. Jesus sees you. He cares about it, even if you feel like nobody else does. This good news looks like comfort. It looks like liberty. Liberty, those who are in bondage to sin. I talked about that a little bit already. Bondage to addiction. Bond, in bondage, most of us are just in bondage to what other people think about us. And it controls so much of our life. And what Jesus is saying is, I've come to release you from that. How, do we, how does he do that? Because if you're assured of the fact that the one that you've most offended has forgiven you and accepted you and embraced you and welcomed you into his family, what else do you have to worry about? That is the most freeing thing in the world. Who else would you want to follow? I want to follow that guy. I want to follow the guy who's seen everything about me who's seen me in my worst misery and my worst pain, the one who I've most offended and has completely offered me forgiveness and has accomplished it for me. You're dead to sin, Paul tells us, 
And you are now alive to God and there isn't any more condemnation. But it also looks like this good news, it's bigger than that. It's bigger than just me and it's bigger than just you. It looks like restoration. And you hear it echo throughout this passage that Jesus is coming to do something that is really big. He's calling you into it. And even as we think about Advent, we long for his return. We think about the restoration of all things. He, he comes to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. I can't go into depth on this, but basically Israel would have gone, their ears would have perked up. This year of jubilee, the year when debts are forgiven, slaves are released, land returns back to its original owners, that this was a foretaste of what the Messiah was coming to bring. And this is what Jesus ultimately is bringing. This is what the good news is, that there will be vengeance. We talk about this before, that it's not our job to defend ourselves. It's not our job to seek vengeance. That vengeance belongs to God and that he will right every wrong. But at the end of all time, he is sitting on a throne and he is proclaiming at the end of Scripture, Behold, I'm making all of this new. I'm bringing a new heavens and a new earth. So friends, what does that mean for us? I think that if you're listening, you already can pick up on what it means for you. That it means that we don't have to live the way that we probably are living right now. It means that there actually is good news. It means that nobody is so bad that they're beyond the reach of God's grace. And nobody is so good that they're, they're beyond the need of His grace. That there's not a soul in here that is so bad that you're beyond the reach of His grace. And there's not any of us in here who are so good that we do not need His grace at every single second and every moment of our lives. And what that means for us is that there is no longer any need for us to perform or pretend for other people that we are something that we're not. That this is true liberty. This is true release from bondage. And we have to experience that first. We have, to, we have to believe that first. We have to believe that Jesus actually came and did what he said he came and did. But secondly, and I'll end with this, and we could, I could preach a whole other sermon on this, but I won't. This tells us what our life is about. When Jesus stands up and reads from that scroll and he says, I'm coming after you to bring you into my family. I'm going to find you in your deepest, darkest place, and I'm going to forgive you, and I'm going to release you from bondage, and I'm going to bind up your broken heart, and I'm going to make you mine forever no matter what. That tells me now what my life is about. It tells you what it means to follow Jesus. That it gives definition, that it gives purpose, that often we forget in the church That this is our job now too, to join along with Jesus in this mission. What does that mean? That we find those who are so broken by life that they don't have any heart to try anymore. And we say, I've got some good news for you. That we care about those who individually are in bondage to sin, but we also care about social injustice. We care about systems that continue to oppress And put people in bondage. We care about both of those things because Jesus cared about them too. I think I could end by just saying it this simply. Just as Jesus 
entered into the mess of our own lives as Christians as we follow him. He's calling us to enter into the mess of one another's lives, the mess of the world, to not hide out in the church, to not hide out simply with one another, but to say, what does it look like for us to to follow our Savior and to proclaim, I've got good news. Let me pray. Father, we thank you that Jesus came to release us from the bondage that we all experience and feel. I pray that you would open our eyes to help us to see our need and to see our need of forgiveness, to see what it is that Jesus is actually offering us. I pray that you would keep us from being like those who, when he did show up, um, thought that they deserved him. I pray that you would help us to see, even as, this, as we come to this table, what a humble and gracious master and savior we have. And we ask this in his name. Amen.